Okay, it looks like we're recording. I've never actually recorded, but we'll edit that part out. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone. Um, my name is Raina Kapilani Pahulu, um, and this is the Mo'unga Project. Um, today we'll be discussing anti-Blackness and the Black Lives Matter movement through a Pacific Islander lens. Um, but before we get into all the things, if we could just have um, a warm welcome to all of our panelists. Go ahead and wave and smile at the camera, y'all. Yes. Um, if we can, Lai, if you want to read a few of the disclaimers before we get started as well. Yes, um, disclaimers. So a few quick disclaimers that PIs aren't a monolith and we do not claim to represent all of our community's voices. This is just a small group of dedicated individuals and we welcome you to join us in future discussions. Contact info for how to get involved will be listed accordingly. Thank you, Lai. Um, Sam, did you get the, the information, if you wouldn't mind um, going over the overview as well? Yeah, so I'll read the overview. Uh, this platform will be dedicated to millennials and Gen Z of the Pacifica diaspora. We hope to create content that helps our generation tell our stories, inspire leadership and advocacy, and build community through vigorous discourse. Perfect, thank y'all. Um, so we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, this whole, whole thing kind of came about, I've mentioned it many times, but if you've been paying attention, it's been inspired by The Grapevine, um, which is a Black millennial Gen Z platform kind of doing the same exact thing. But I wanted something available for our own community to kind of draw from for its content for us by us. Um, something that's happening that even on a, glo a global scale, we can't really even ignore anymore is the Black Lives Matter movement and just um, how we are needing to show up and value Black lives, um, just in general. Um, what are some of the cool things that y'all are seeing in community from Pacific Islanders that you feel like, wow, that's cool, and we should all be kind of lending our voices in this way? Mon, I think you can. Oh, uh, I just got busted. Someone just tried to come through my office. And so I was trying to <laughs> um, off screen, tell them not to come in. Um, anyways, uh, my name is Moana. Um, I think um, expanding on Reina's um, um, question, I think something really, really cool. I'm based out of Utah. Um, I think something that's really cool that I'm seeing happening now is a discussion or a dialogue at least. I don't think there was a lot of spaces or um, a lot of places available for us to have these questions or to have these discussions first and foremost, and then also to assert that Black Lives Matter in a way that um, isn't conflicting or isn't as charged as before. So I'm really excited to see a lot of the um, organizing that's happening in places that haven't happened before. Uh, Reina being one of the spaces here as Maunga, being able to openly discuss these um, in an intergenerational way, um, I think is really cool. And we're seeing a lot more people be visible about where they stand. Um, Cause I think this is something that's definitely polarizing and um, more so in certain areas. So I think that's really cool to see um, this being led. And of course it's being led by women. Um, so, <laughs> so it's really exciting to see, and I think it's on brand. Black Lives Matter was um, founded by three women of color. Um, so it's really exciting to just see how women are stepping up as per usual um, to lead these movements. So I think that's something I thought was really cool to see in our own community. Thank you, Mo. Um, and Moana is, is part of a sisterhood that um, they're part of the artist collective, Pacifica First Fridays, they host here in Utah. Um, they hold so many great events, but specifically they hosted, um, my knowledge, the first PI for Black Lives Matter here in Utah movement. Um, and that was, that was beautiful to witness. I believe a few of y'all were there. Sam, what were your thoughts on that? How did you feel? 
Um, it was very refreshing to see a lot of our PIs come out um, and support the Black Lives Matter movement, especially because it's such an issue within our community. Um, I'm speaking off of personal experience with the Tongans that I know um, with a lot of anti-Blackness um, rooted deep in our culture. So it was cool to see not only people from the older generation, we did have Lydia, Dr. Lydia there to speak. We, I also saw kids. And that range of age is such an important spectrum we need to see as Gen Z and millennials because we sit in between. So that was something cool that I saw. Yes, we definitely want to inspire the, the next generations coming up. Uh, Anatero and um, Marosa, I know y'all are located in Cali. Can you speak about uh, what y'all are seeing there? Uh, hi, I'll speak. Well, I don't know if my sister wants to speak. I'm Rosa. Um, I'm Anatero. And sorry. Um, I hear it's very similar. We're also seeing um a lot of sorry, my family's coming in, but um we've seen more organizing going on. Um, specifically. Um, which has been held by the younger generation, which was nice to see. Um, but here, I think recently there is a protest that um, some of our PI, like people that we know, um, they were attacked and by the other uh, the agitators, the agitators that were there. So what came out of that was another event um, I think I wasn't able to attend, but it was on Saturday where they were able to discuss about things. So I think it also like firsthand for many people that like, we were able to see. And I think a lot of times with our community, um, it's not real until it happens to one of us. So that's where I saw that coming, and I wish it was or didn't happen. But um, it was I like that it was uh, immediate. The reaction was immediate, and they like threw something together right after, and they felt what they felt, and then put it towards something effective. Um, yeah, do you have anything to say? Oh, yeah, just to add on, uh, I think seeing, um, I'm to be seeing a lot of um, my own uh, peers and um, peers that are younger than me, seeing these conversations being um, discussed and challenged, I think that's uh, really cool. Uh, for the first time seeing my uh, fellow PI um, peers uh, just challenging these conversations within their own homes. Um, I have a little cousin, um, she's about like 13, and she, um, was, she was trying to hold these conversations in, in her own home, and I thought that was cool. I love that. Thank you all. Um, yeah, so I think what's really cool is we're seeing a lot of people kind of pipe up and use their platforms for um, in solidarity. Um, granted, there are some people who are speaking in opposition. I don't know how that happens, but it is happening lame. Um, Michaela, you're in Hawaii. Can you speak on kind of what you're experiencing there? Um, yeah, so I think being here in Hawaii, like, it's really easy to kind of, like, disassociate from the continent. And, I mean, of course, you can always educate yourself, but it's just really easy to pretend, like, things aren't happening. Um, but I haven't really seen that with the Black Lives Matter because there's still been protests and it's still been reaching here. Um, and like Moana was saying, it created a lot of dialogue, especially with um, like the OGs in the family, the ones who have like, I guess brought the families over and grew up mostly in a different country. Um, for me, I think it's hit more on a personal level where, um, so my dad has told me stories, my dad is white, and he's told me stories about being a part of like the desegregation programs in Georgia when he was a kid. Um, and now with my husband who is from Tonga and we're talking about like just me educating him on the issues and why it's such a big deal and seeing his mindset start to click and change because of the dialogues that have started to happen. Um, one of the things that me and my dad talked about when we talked about the desegregation was how it really just takes one person to kind of make that click and that switch in the mind frame because racism is a learned, it's a learned thing. It's not something that you're born with. And so 
um, I think just kind of with the conversations I've had with my husband, just feeling like that hope that there's going to be a switch for our future generations to come. Um, and kind of, it's been harder to get through to the older generation, but I can hear them starting to try to understand. And I really think that's been the biggest um, change or outcome that's come. I love that. Thank you. Um, I think because we're approaching this in such a, again, intergenerational um, way, we're dealing with the older people who have been so indoctrinated via white supremacy and colonization and then we have the younger generations who are just barely coming into their um just their education on what really the history of this country um and colonization has been um so we're we're dealing with a very layered and nuanced um kind of way that we are going about um does anyone want to speak on either what it's been like dealing with their own parents or grandparents speaking about these things, or even I think some of what I've seen, and it's it's troubling um, as we go through these these um, social media times, is this concept of performative allyship. Uh, like, you know, we want everyone to kind of be of the same of a, same accord, but we also want genuine allyship happening so that it's not this empty thing kind of being brought apart. Um, yeah, if anyone has any thoughts on that, feel free to unmute yourself and speak on it. Um, so in my own family, my family, my family members, my, my siblings included, um, they're very traditional, very, very Tongan. Um, and because they are, you know, they don't really, uh, like with my siblings, my older siblings, they don't recognize um, the indoctrination with like colonization and whatnot. And so they tend to side against Black Lives Matter, you know? Um, and so with my, for example, my brother and I, the other day, we had a conversation for two days and it was just about the history of, um, the history of Black people in America. And for me, um, a lot of the protests have really sparked that conversation in my family. Um, with my mom, my mom, I was kind of more surprised that my mom was actually really open um, because she mentioned something about the protests and then we started talking about it. And I said, well, do you know why people are protesting? And because she was kind of uh, upset with the, you know, the, uh, some of the riots that were happening. And so I said, well, do you know why it's happening, mom? And she said, well, no. And then, so we, then that opened up, we ended up talking for a few hours actually until like the wee hours of the morning. Um, and I was really, it was just interesting because when I, I pointed out the anti-blackness in our culture, um, it was so interesting because she said, she, she was like, yeah, you know, like when we say this, like when we joke about these things, that's anti-blackness. And I said, yes, mom, that's racism. Like that's anti-blackness in our communities. And it's, it's not fair. And I told her, you know, I, I pointed out that a lot of um, our conceptions, um, our perceptions, I mean, of, of black people, especially like growing, if you grew up outside of America, well, in America too, but even especially outside, um, a lot of it is doctored by Hollywood and by media. And, you know, growing up all, in all of the movies that we watched, all the bad guys were black people. And, um, and I had to point that out to her. So it was really interesting to, to see that dynamic, that, you know, kind of like that switch, like someone said earlier. Um, and then on a personal level, um, whenever I do, like, I'm not on social, I don't post on social media very often, but recently I have posted a few things in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Um, and I am aware that social media can become a tool where it is, where our allyship can be performative. And so I check my, or I ask myself, every time I post, I ask myself, what am I doing offline? Am I doing anything? Am I educating myself? Am I supporting my signing petitions? Am I supporting uh, black businesses? What am I doing offline? Um, one last little thing. The other day, um, 
on Twitter, there was a, a, a huge thing um, about J. Cole's, um, what was it called? Like Snow on the Bluff or something, I think that was called. So on that, in that um, conversation, there was a lot of backlash and I'd listened to it because I really liked the guy. And um, I tweeted my opinion on this, on, on, you know, and I said, well, this is what I think it says. And um, then I saw a couple of other people. Um, I saw somebody that I follow. He is a Pacific Islander, but he's also black. And then I also saw Urena um, just tweeting and saying like, you know, um, that's not a conversation that we need to be a part of. That's between J. Cole and black women. You know, we're not black. And at first, I'm not gonna lie, my knee-jerk reaction, and I think this is human, I'm not excusing myself or anything, but my knee-jerk reaction was to think, well, can I have an opinion? I, I, we all can have opinions, can't we? Um, but then the more I, I, I thought about it, I thought about it for a little bit, and I realized that um, I want to be an ally. And part of being an ally is magnifying Black voices without being their voice, and also recognizing which conversations where we can be a part of and which conversations we really just need to have a seat. And um, I really like, I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I'm gonna uh, delete my tweet because that was out of line for me. I'm gonna check myself and hold myself accountable because that is a conversation that does not include me. Thank you, Lisa. Um, yeah, I just, uh, you touched on a lot of cool things. One, we should all be having these uncomfortable conversations. Uh, two, we're doing the work offline. So your energy online is what's matching offline. Um, and then three, learning when to discern if you need to be silent in a conversation, especially when it comes to Black matters. We want to be careful that we aren't overspeaking on matters that wholly concern their communities. Because if we're doing our jobs, um, like we have these platforms, we get to critique our own men within our own communities and vice versa, they get to critique the women. Um, but, you know, and I had my thoughts, but at the same time, I went and spoke to Sam and Lai on, you know, just a private forum for, for us to kind of unpack within ourselves, but making sure that we aren't speaking over black, black women um, because they already are fully discarded in so many ways. Uh, so I looked like you wanted to say something. Yeah, thanks, Reina. So just going back to the like topic of this little portion, just educating and having that conversation with our parents and our family members, it's super, <laughs> it's super awkward and it's super uncomfortable, but we as Pacific Islanders have to get used to being uncomfortable in order to bridge that gap and have those conversations. So my sister and I are like constantly like talking with my mom and you know explaining to her just like Lisa said, um, just calling out anti-blackness within our community, within our own family. And it's very interesting because a lot of what I found that my mom and her generation um, like led them to believe is based off of what they were taught. So if we continue to um, perpetuate that in the sense of we're just going to continue learning what they were taught, the cycle is never going to end. And there was something that I saw on Facebook um, regarding the term meuli in Psalm 1. And it was, uh, I don't recall if it was half Black, half Psalm 1, but he, the whole video was in Psalm 1 and explaining to the older generation um, you know, just how harmful that word is and like such and such reasons behind it. So I was like, okay, like, this is crazy. Like when you hear something in your native tongue, it just, it sits a lot heavier with you. And we need those resources for the older generation to understand on that level of where we're understanding. Um, so I sent that over to my mom. <laughs> I sent it over to my mom and she watched it. And I was talking to her after and she was just saying like, 
that is so crazy. I I never like thought of it that way. Yeah, I always told you guys not to use the N word, but it was because to me, like that was just a bad word, but I never understood on that level, like even within Psalm 1, having our language um, emphasize that word, if that makes sense. And so it's just super important for us to continue having those conversations, especially with the older generation. Um, Sometimes it can be quite a headache, um, especially when, you know, you're being viewed as cheeky, when you're, um, when you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing, listening to the other people and you're trying to talk back. So um, these are just conversations that have to be had. And in order for us to break the cycle, we just have to get used to being uncomfortable. We have to be used to speaking to the older generation about things that are concerning not only us, but concerning them, concerning our ancestors and all of that. So, yeah, thank you. I love that. Thank you, Saya. Um, so a lot of us have alluded to anti-Blackness. Um, if we could unpack that a little further. Lai, you look like you were going to speak on something. Sorry, I had to unmute myself. Um, just to speak on what Saya was saying and um, um, uh, in regard to like the older generation, I definitely feel like there's a disconnect because a lot of us are first and second generations. Um, so I was, I was kind of doing like my own personal research um, and the study that was shown by Public Opinion Strategies, which is a market research company based in Virginia, um, February 1st of 2019, they had, they had um, shared this report that kind of showed the percentage of um, which parties, political parties watched, Fox News and MSNBC. Um, and obviously, you know, both news can be extreme at times, but for Fox News, 53% of their viewers were Republican or identified as Republican. For MSNBC, 17% of their viewers um, identified as Republican. And I think that just touches on, so when our parents or our grandparents came here, most of them idealistically familiarize themselves with the Republican Party. And a lot of that has to do with our moral values um, collectively as Polynesian people, because a lot of that derives from like Christianity and those views. And so I think, you know, when they came here as children or teens or even as adults, their only source of, of news was what their parents were watching or what they were allowed to watch. And then it kind of trickled down to where we're in our generation. But the difference is, is that we have the opportunity to be more objective and less biased because we have platforms like Twitter even that is a little more liberal, but also shows things that the news won't show. But think about it. How many of our parents are on Twitter? You know, how many, how many of them even, even know like that, that sphere, that side of social media. So I think a lot of it is we're, we're fighting against like a generational thing here. And, um, I, when I first started being really vocal on Facebook, because I'm never really on Facebook because of that, because I would always get into these like political debates, I was getting so much like pushback from my own family. Like they were DMing me, commenting on all my stuff. And I remember venting to like Reina, even Sam um, and, and Aaron and just saying like, I'm so tired, like I'm so exhausted. Like I'm so tired of explaining myself over and over and trying to teach. Um, teach these people that should know better. In my mind, I was like, they should know better, you know? Um, but the reality of it is, is like for us, it's, it's a choice. Like for the black community, it's not a choice. Like that's their life. That's, that's what they're fighting day in and day out. And so for me, I kind of thought to myself, like this is our responsibility. Um, these are our burdens to bear because those are our people. This is our community that we have to teach. And instead of blocking, because I, I almost went on like a blocking spree, I was like, this is just so ignorant. Instead, I just take the approach of, um, you know, the things I post, I make sure that it's something that I do feel comfortable enough and well-versed enough to teach my own family about. Like, I'm not, I'm very vocal on social media, but it's not just on social media. Like, I'm, I'm having these conversations offline because a lot of times those are the conversations that are really going to turn the hearts of our own people. Not all the time, but you know, the work needs to be done. So that, that's just my comments on that. Amen, amen. Um, can we get some comments from you, Desra, and then maybe Aaron after? Um, um, I like 
Share whatever thoughts you have on anything that we. Okay, like, in just stereotypes, like, like I would always see like stereotypes on TV, like, how, like, like how how they were portrayed, portrayed in, like. I always think that was like that's how they how they were, and I've, yeah, and since or like like I would always I I always think that they're like like back then I always think they were. You're bad because it's how because I never knew any African American. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. Thank you, Desra. Um, Aaron, any thoughts on what we've been discussing? Yeah, no, I think Desra actually brought up a really good point as far as um, the how how our Black Americans are are portrayed in media, movies, so forth. And so I, I think that's a good point because uh, I actually have a good friend who's Australian who is Samoan. Um, and they, they actually said that a lot of the Samoans or, or Pacific Islanders there outside of the United States, the only perception they have of black people are, are movies, are movies and media. And so it really, it really puts into perspective of racism globally. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely an issue that we face here in the United States, of course. Um, but I think one of one of the studies that Angela Davis came up with, or, sorry. Sorry guys. Oh, uh, but actually Angela Davis actually said in, in one of her recent books that that it's we have when we look at racism, we have to, we just have to look at it at the perspective of, of a global issue. Um, yes, we can definitely it, it, well, actually, if, if we look at incidences like Ferguson, um, George Floyd, even if we look at those incidences as just an isolated incident, then we, we aren't really understanding the full picture of, of racism. Um, and so it really put, it puts into perspective what Desra said as, as far as, as media, because, you know, we have, we have our own family that are outside of the United States that, that are upholding or understanding uh, this, this, this view of, of Black Americans in a negative way. Um, so thank you, Desert, for that. Um, I too had had opportunities and experiences to to re-educate uh, my my own parents as well. Um, and yes, kind of similar to Lisa, and where I I kind of did you know get a little def uh, not defensive, but um, where I kind of I kind of came be frustrated, kind of like Lai, because it, it does get pretty tiring to to try and and teach these things. But I had to kind of let my parents know that, that this isn't right, um, the certain views that they had. And I mean, even when we just wa watch local news in Carson, California, and they, they just said, say something about black people or, or even Mexican folks, and, and they say off, off the cuff comments, I'm just like, oh, you cannot do that. You cannot say that. Um, and so it comes down to, you know, that, that type of activism and, and, and actually putting that into action. It's, it's great to have these discussions um, like, like Moana said, it is, it is awesome that our community is, is starting to actually speak on these things and, and really expose our anti-blackness in our community. Um, but it's, it's even better that we've been able to see so many of our Pacific Islanders come out, um, take it to the streets and actually march alongside our black brothers and sisters um, and, and actually helping them magnify their voices too. Um, but yeah, I believe that's, that's kind of all I had to say so far on this portion. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like, um, again, a lot of what our community, especially the older generations, like to do is attack these things, these issues from a micro scale instead of understanding it from a macro perspective um, and understanding the, the, the deeper history that has been either whitewashed or completely untold. Because um, if we are not learning about these things actively and our kids are not learning about these things, then how will we ever know that we need to improve on things? Um, and a lot of us coming in, coming into America within 
the diaspora and generations, uh, especially here in the US, we believe in this American dream um, and the model myth minor or model minority myth, where we believe that if we're just like the best, uh, goodest brown person we can be, we'll achieve the same things that white people can. Um, but that's wholly false, especially if we're thinking that, if we're understanding that this system was not built for us, so we cannot benefit to the same extent that white people have already popped themselves up to and at the expense of black people, black slavery, um, just so many different things. Mona, can you speak a, a little bit um, about that? Oh, uh, speak on. So uh, model minority. <laughs> Oh, the model minority. Um, yeah, so I just had a couple comments for uh, Tarena's response is um, two things if you're watching this, um, knowing that black has been in the Pacific for as long as the Pacific has existed. So if you're watching this and do not know that, um, I implore you to go read stuff about there was a cacao trade um, that blocked savory um, and enslaved a lot of Pacific um, communities that were along the 11 degrees of the equator. So you think about um, talking about what Aaron was talking about, how the globalization of what's happening right now and trying to address something that is racial, that is a globalized problem, thinking about how Pacific has always been part of this narrative, even though maybe it's not as apparent. So I implore people to go research um, black people from Cape Verdean who arrived in Hawaii, who when the monarchy was being overthrown, was trying to advocate for the dismantling of race, um, trying to get Hawaiians to know that race is a construct as early as two centuries ago. So it's this idea of this polarized conversation about anti-Blackness when we think of ourselves as other than Black, when really we are on the margins of the margins that has always included a Black history. Um, so I just want to put that out there I think that's the baseline that our communities, especially I'm really excited about this Gen Z, that's the baseline we need to start from. Um, I am not entertaining any conversations that start below that or before that or are not aware of that history within the Pacific because it's ignorant and it's uninformed. Um, and I think this is really somewhere where I started talking with my parents about their experience as first gen, you know, US based Pacific Islanders and their understanding of our history. Um, we have been, and not to co-opt a Black uh, narrative, but we have been victims of Blackbirding, of enslavement, of disenfranchisement, of colonization that has now, you know, it permeates through our thinking right now. And I live in a predominantly hegemonic community, meaning there's one dominant um, religion. And so how does that play into it, you know? thinking about the Mormon um, history, about how they brought black slaves over to Utah, but called them pioneers. These are very entrenched conversations that if we don't recognize what we are saying on the day-to-day, -day, calling black slaves pioneers, that frames a conversation, right? That already assumes that people came here freely. That is incorrect. <laughs> so it's one of these things where thinking about the model minority um, myth, it's this idea that Pacific Islanders have to bow our heads and thank for what we have when previously we've always traversed this globe and for you to exchange citizenship to me doesn't mean that anything um, because it doesn't provide anything for us. So when Raina talks about for us, by us, thinking about where we decide to um, congregate, Facebook, that's run by algorithms, people. So like the stuff that you wanna see is only gonna be influenced by the constitution for which these platforms are built. So I'm loving that Reina is taking these conversations offline. Twitter, those are ruled by algorithms as well. I'm loving that we're finding community on there, but where are we organizing outside of these platforms? Where are we? And it doesn't have to be in person. Given COVID, how are we having these conversations honestly, safely, and then empowering people to go out there and do that. Um, things that we can do, people have mentioned. I listen to Tidal. <laughs> That's something super small. But if you're paying for Apple, switch over to Tidal. That's a Black-owned organization. There's small things that you can do within your daily that I feel like we don't have to be on the front lines of the protest. But man, some of y'all need to show up and set up the chairs. You know, It's not our conversation to have. It's not us to lead. But damn, can we like show space or show some type of like 
solidarity because the thing is and i really want to get this through sorry now i'm on my soapbox is that everything people say about specific islanders i just want you to know that colonized minds and i'm not going to say all white people but pacific islanders are viewed in the same lens so if you will cape for these people just know that the systems that these were built for we are we're victims of it and i don't want to say victims but we're we are by default because we've decided to live here because we've decided to to integrate ourselves into these communities i really want to encourage a lot of the pis here i'm a national um i'm from tutuila i was born in pongo pongo i don't have american citizenship i don't want citizenship i am proud of this of this ability to kind of be in the liminal you know and like a lot of narratives will tell us that we don't have power within these spaces but honestly we we need to stop bowing down and and thanking people for the bare minimum if not that i'm just sick of us being like asking for scraps and then i don't even know just humbly trying to thank people for stuff that doesn't even meet our community needs and so to me it's it's in between this noble and brutal savage that we are painted out to be whether it be the brutal like in your face we're not going to take this anymore or the noble one that takes takes it bowing down you know and so for now i just feel like the conversation first needs to be based in this historical context right let's all learn up google and god never fail that's what i've been told so <laughs> go ahead hit up some google um there's so many free resources that you know if you're going to spend this much time countering conversations about this i would also encourage you to read um there's so many free sources resources out there but encouraging conversations like this to happen offline. Um, and then just really like, we gotta stop being so, I don't know how to explain it, but I know my dad tells me to be quiet a lot, <laughs> which I know that a lot of you guys have received, but we need to, to get that concept or whatever we have adopted um, as, as our parents were trying to survive in the generations before, but you know, like peaceful protests that, that is solely as a Samoan is interweaved with the Mao movement that happened in Samoa. So for people to think that this is new, it's not, it's a new age navigation, but it's not new. The way that we organize, the way that we show up for others, the way that we have stood up against colonial views that, um, yeah, just are the, res the results are people are dying. And so I just want us to remember that, you know, this rhetoric has to be, based in the fact that there is a significant amount of people dying because of policies and because of what people are doing um, that is allowed by our laws. So um, yeah, sorry to go off a little tangent, but it just hella triggered. <laughs> and so that's like, but, but yeah, I just, I'm open for conversation. I'm not on social, but I think this is where it has to happen. It has to happen to get it past that line of performative, right? So um, yeah. I love that. Thank you, Mo. Uh, you see, spinning that fire. That's what happens when you listen to Nipsey Hussle. <laughs> um, let's see. Protest is not new. Google is your friend. Um, we just have so many ways in which our people hold up a community and challenge oppressive systems. So I think it's important that we remember that, especially as we're doing our history um, research. Um, and then again, just kind of expanding on this idea of anti-blackness, I believe that the way that it shows up so commonly is, is especially for women is beauty standards in the way that we value Eurocentric beauty standards. And uh, I hate that shit is what I'm going to say until the death of me until I die uh, beyond the grave. I don't know. What are some of your experiences um, as when you think of anti-blackness within your Pacific community, Sam? Yeah, I wanted to touch up on this because I think it was about three weeks ago, I had my nieces and sisters in my home and they asked me like, what's anti-blackness? You keep talking about anti-blackness. I want to know what it's about. Um, but keep in mind that my sister and nieces, they range from the ages of eight to 14. So trying to explain this to them and unpack this conversation with them was very fragile. I'm not trying to trigger and breaking their innocence as kids, but also trying to scratch that surface off to let them understand what, have I, what I've experienced because my little sisters are also first gen but my nieces are second generation so they got the lucky hand of not experiencing 
the anti-blackness um, with the beauty, beauty standards that we have as Tongans. But my little sisters, on the other hand, have, you know, that take your, go take your ass to the shower, wash your neck kind of stuff, or stay out of the sun kind of stuff, don't get too dark. Um, if you're, if you become too dark, you're not pretty anymore, no one's gonna want you. Sorry, it's like getting very emotional because how am I gonna tell these young girls that it's not true that they're saying this and if, they, if you hear it, to stand up for yourself because it's something that needs, a chain that needs to be broken because we already have it hard enough as women in building confidence for ourselves. So if we ingrain this into little girls and they grow up on that, it just creates insecurity and an unstable foundation for them to grow up as strong women. Um, a lot of times I've, t I've told my little sisters, um, it doesn't matter what, how dark you get, like enjoy your youth and be as young as you want. Um, and I've tried to talk to my niece's parents on telling them to not tell them, like it doesn't matter about how dark they are too. Because once they grow up, they'll start to understand that and then they'll have resentment for you for putting that on them. Um, that conversation was really tough and it was long. I think we had like six hours of talking about that. Um, but I was lucky enough to have my little sisters there who were younger than my nieces kind of explain like, oh yeah, my mom tells me that if I'm dark, I'm not gonna have a boyfriend or a husband when I grow up. And then my nieces are like, dang, I've never heard that before. My, my dad says that if I get darker, I'm, a be I'm beautiful no matter what. So hearing both different sides was re refreshing to me, but also heartbreaking. Like how, how are our older people who teach us to be kind and loving and giving also the same ones knocking our young girls down like that, you know? And that was just a very interesting conversation that I had. That's such a common thread happening through all of through all of our lives. I know Michaela is experiencing something very interesting as well. If you could speak on that, and then we'll go to Lisa. Uh, similar to Sam, I think. Well, so my mother-in-law. I remember when we first got married, me and my husband. She was just saying how she was so excited, like for us to have a family, like she's ready for us to have babies. And her comment to me was. I hope they come out white like you. And I just kind of like, for me, like I wasn't used to hearing that because I didn't really grow up around many Polynesians and my dad and my mom have always just kind of taught us to love us, love ourselves no matter what. Um, and so I, I asked her, I was like, so what, what if they're dark? Like, do you not think that they're worthy of your love? Like, do you think that they're less like are and my husband is her favorite. So I'm like, will they not be your favorite anymore? Like, because they're darker. And she just kind of like stopped and she's like, no, it's a joke. And then I kind of told her, I was like, well, it's not funny to me. And I was explaining to her that like, I'm not trying to be mean, but when we do have children, if they are dark, if those comments are said to them, then I'm not gonna, have her like in their presence and that's just to protect them and um she was kind of like well she got mad at my husband <laughs> she's like you know like we're family and then i just told him so me and her sat down again and i just told her that like we should be breathing life into our children like we should be breathing like the sky is the limit and to hinder them based off a of skin tone like i just can't support that no matter who they are and um, ever since that day, we've been married two years now, and I've never heard her make another comment like that to me. I'm sure she still has her feelings, but I guess for now, I just have to take the small wins. And as long as she can watch and kind of start to filter herself, then maybe it'll trickle down and at least my kids won't have to experience that. I love that, thank you, being proactive. I'm not finna try my future kids, okay, uh, Lisa? Um, this is, 
This is a conversation, a topic that I, I think that uh, we're all familiar with, especially um, for our Pacific Islander women. We're always told to like stay out of the sun and, you know, and especially I remember when I was younger, it was a thing. If you're going to do a taoluma, you had to stay out of the sun so that you'd be lighter on the day of the, you know, on the day of your dance. Um, and another thing that came to mind was that I, um, I have a couple of things that I'd like to, to talk about with this like just kind of really uh, my comments on it. Um, one is that I, I am forever grateful for black women. I love black women. Um, and a lot of it for me personally is that because is that um, I learned to be okay with the, with the shade of my skin because my shade right now, <laughs> this is light for me. Um, I get really tan, really dark, really easily. And um, I, I mean, if I just spend like an hour in the sun, I'm like super dark and I can get really dark. And growing up, that was such a source of insecurity for me. Um, and it wasn't, it was a black woman who made this comment to me and, and she said, cause she was, uh, I think she was mixed. She was definitely light, light skin. And she's, she, I made, I was so un uninformed and I made a comment about being darker in the sun. And she said, you know, I don't care what color or what shade my my um, my skin is, whether I'm darker or whether I'm lighter, I'm always going to be me and I'm always going to be bomb. <laughs> and I remember thinking when she said that to me, that really flipped a switch in my mind. I think I was like 20 at the time or 19, 20, I was 20. And I remember thinking, you know what? That's the kind of confidence I want. I want to love myself like that. And from that day forward, I really did it. I was fine going out in the sun. I wanted to get out in the sun. Um, so there's that switch. And then like hair, I mean, my hair um, is curly and kind of like, I mean, I've been called nappy head. I've been called a lot of things. And I, my hair was a source of insecurity because um, the movies I watched, the books I read, you know, the girls, in them were um if they weren't blonde they at least had straight hair um and they looked nothing like me you know and so i just i hated my hair for a really long time i think up until like my early 20s i hated my hair um because it wasn't you know it wasn't in line with what i thought was supposed to be beautiful and it, again it was black women who helped me um who helped me recognize that my hair is beautiful. My, there's beauty in my hair. It, like there's beauty, in, there's beauty in not looking like, you know, the Eurocentric, our standards of beauty. And um, so again, I owe a lot of like my self-acceptance to black women. And so I, I love them for sure. As a group, I love them. Um, another thing that I, I also would like to, to mention um, is this, is that the um, the notion that lighter skin is beautiful? We know, of course, that that's that's a colonization mindset, right? That came with European um, settlers, and and just you know that that wasn't from us. Um, but I also would like to reiterate that that it wasn't from us. Um, Doctor um, Kaili, his name is Doctor Devita Kaili. He's a Tongan scholar. And he wrote about how, um, about he wrote, he writes a lot about the duality um, in our Tongan culture, right? For everything, for everything, there's a pair. So in our culture, um, the color red, for example, um, the, what, the counterpart for red was black. And so black was, has always been considered in our culture as beautiful, like it's, it's sacred. And he was actually the one who wrote about, and I'd always thought about this and I always um, thought that this was true, but it was just really cool to, to have it um, confirmed by a, a Tongan scholar. And he talked about how um, being darker, you know, even just like a century or so ago was what people aspired to be. Like they aspired to that. And it was a running joke that only the royal family had dark skin. And this was, you know, obviously like before um, Christianity and whatnot, because having darker skin meant that you were, you know, you were worthy of your rank. And obviously, I mean, 
um, I don't know if a lot of, if you've seen um, a portrait of, of um, King George the Bull the first, um, and he's the one that kind of reunited Tonga under one rule and whatnot. Um, but he, in his portraits, he's very dark. And I mean, I just, I, I find it really heartbreaking and, and um, I find it really heartbreaking that in our society, in our culture now, it's a, it's a cultural thing to aspire to lighter skin and to fairness when that was never culturally a part of our identity for a very long time. And I think that that's a part of, a, um, that's an aspect that I think is lost upon us a lot of times and we don't remember that. So I just wanted to touch up on that, that black is, has always been beautiful in our cultures. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Um, yeah, I want to reiterate everything that she said. Black women have taught me to love myself in a lot of ways, and so I'm so grateful for them. Um, we're running up close to the hour. Uh, do we have one final comment from someone just dying to say anything right now before we close out? Uh, Saya. Uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate that Black Lives Matter every single day. And if you're in Utah, remember that there is, well, in general, wherever we are, these conversations, they concern us. Just because we sweep it under the rug, just because we act like it's not, like it doesn't affect us, does not mean that it does not. The, everything that happens around us, it'll affect us. The Black Lives Matter movement, it affects us. We have to decolonize and we have to stand with our Black brothers and sisters. And that's just... A simple fact is that Black Lives Matter every single day. And unless you can continue to say that with your whole chest, you are not being a good ally. You are not being a good ally. And I will say that over and over and over. Um, anyways, yes, Black Lives Matter every single day. If you guys uh, don't believe it, then it's probably time that you should research that for yourself. If you're watching and us talking about this and you feel like it doesn't concern us, it does concern us. It very much affects us and our communities. And it's time for us again to decolonize and we have to stand in solidarity with Black Lives, with Black organizers. Remember that this is not a movement for us to hijack. This is a movement for us to support. Like what Lisa said, um, it's about magnifying Black voices, not being their voice. They already have a voice. They speak for themselves. They don't need us to speak for them. We just need to be there to amplify. That's all that we have to do, support Black businesses, support Black creators and Black women, Black trans women, all of that. Black Lives Matter. I love it. Well, that's been a show. Thank y'all for coming. Um, yeah, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs>